Okay, there we are. Okay, we are holding in the Sefer of Shoftim, and we're holding by Perik Vav. Um, and we're going through the Tkufa, the different, the era of time of the Shoftim, of the judges. And as we've been learning, it's a really tumultuous time, an up and down time for Klal Yisro, um, a time of some great tzaddikim and shayftim who come to save them and to lead them for many years, and then a time of typically sinfulness after the passing or the death of one of the shayftim. And um, I might, yeah. And um, it's really it's an up and down as as we've been learning. So the last well, the last two prakim we dealt with the fifth the fifth of the shayftim, and that was devira. The Vera Hanavia, who was a Nevia and a Shefetes, and she was the fifth in the line of Sheftim that we started with Yehoshua, and then there was a, there was a Sneel ben Knaz, and then there was Ehud ben Geira, there was Shamgar, and then there was Devorah. So we had the uh, the entire story of Devorah and Perik Dalid in chapter 4, how Devorah, together with Barak, lead Claudius throne to a great victory, and in Perik we had the Shira of Devorah, the song. The poetry, the beautiful song that Devera wrote and then sung together with Klal Yisrael, thanking Hashem for those miracles, for those nisim. And that leads us to Perik Vav, chapter 6, where we're holding t- today. Now, although there are a number of Shaftim, a number of judges in the Sefer, in the book of Shaftim, there are a few that are most famous and that uh, take up a number of chapters. So Devera was one of them. And the next one, who we're going to learn about, really covers the next couple of Perakim, the next couple of chapters, and is going to be the subject of tonight, is the sixth Shefet. And his name was Gidon. Was Gidon. Now, we don't know a tremendous amount about Gidon, but as we'll see in learning tonight, that he was a very, very, uh, very interesting, very big tzaddik. And there was something very miraculous about him and his era of leadership, the era of Gidon, as we're going to learn, as we're going to see. Um, although it has somewhat of a sad ending, as we'll see tonight in Mirza Hashem. Okay, so the Perik Vav begins with the fact that after Devera passes away, again, Kalal Yisrael sinks into a negative negative behaviors and back to idolatry. Um, I think it's important to remember, historically, we're talking about it's relatively a new nation. They, they just came to the land of Israel. They finally have a homeland. And it's a difficult time. And they don't have a Besamikdash yet, they don't have a center, they don't have a king yet. And that's the simple explanation why they keep on falling. You know, they have like a tzaddik that sort of comes and inspires them and props them up. But that uh, typically throughout the book of Shaftim is short-lived. And that's what happens again. So we had the great Nevi'ah, Dvera, and she leads Klal Yisrael for many years until she passes away. But then afterward again, they fall to the same type of sinful behaviors really um, really following or emulating the people that they're living around, as we discussed in the past, that they never fully removed all of the negative influences from the land of Eretz Yisrael, and that was something that kept on coming back to hurt them. So they fall to um, a new uh, ruler, and that's the Midianites. Um, the, the Midianites now are able to come after, after Devera and Sisra, were very were successful in their battle in the earlier battle um, 
which was against, I'm just not remembering now, the uh, Devera fought against, which uh, that was uh, the Kenainim, right? Yavin Melech Kenan. So Sisra, uh, Devera and Barak were successful against the Kenainim. The new uh, leaders or rulers in Israel are going to become the Midianites, the Midianim. And they are a powerful nation. And they're like, uh, they're a nation of... Uh, like uh, nomads, they travel. They travel. They know the terrain very well. They have camels, and they take over. They take over the whole land, really. And they're very, very oppressive to the Jewish people. The uh, the pasuk over here describes that Tal Yisrael was at a tremendous low, and a tremendous state of uh, fear to the extent that they built for themselves caves and uh, and tunnels just to hide, just to hide from the Midianim. And furthermore. They, um, it says that they have, they're, they're destitute. They, they have no parnasa whatsoever. They're, they're dalim, they're, they're poor, they're impoverished. So the nation is really at a low. And this is uh, some years after the death of, um, of, of, uh, of Devera. So what happens is that it says that the Navi comes and rebukes them. And here again, it says the Navi. Which Navi are we talking about? So there's an invisible Navi that keeps on showing up from time to time. And every time I tell you, it's Pinchas. Uh, Rashi tells us, and the Radak, the other Mepharshim say, that you had Pinchas, the Kayin Gadol. He's like, it's like an enigma. Like, where is he the whole time? Because we have one Shafit and another and another. And then the Shafit leaves, and then Klal Yisrael falls. And then there's the Navi who's there, who sort of wakes them up and, and rebukes them. And that's Pinchas. And Pinchas always was this uh, enigmatic Kohen uh, Godel slash Navi. We know Pinchas Ze'eliyahu. Really, it's the same Neshama of Navi. He also is constantly appearing through our history. So here, in the beginning of Perek Vav, it says that the Navi comes, and the Navi, which is Pinchas, is rebuking them, and he tells them, and you know, Hashem took you out of Mitzrayim, and Hashem saved you once, and He saved you twice. So how is it that, that you fall again and again? It says, And he gives them these words of rebuke, which brings the Jewish people to some level, to some level of tshuva. And then, then he disappears. Then he's not, he's not mentioned again here. Pinchas. So then the story really begins, and this is where we're going to meet Gidon. Now, Gidon is from the Shevet of Menashe, the tribe of Menashe. And really, Gidon and the miraculous wars that he's going to fight are already um, alluded to a couple of times in Chumash. If you think back to Chumash, and Chumash and Rashi, you'll remember that Gideon was alluded to a couple of times. Um, for example, when Yaakov Avinu is going to bless his two grandsons, right, Ephraim and Menashe, which is actually, one second, which is actually this week's Parsha, Actually, in this week's parsha, in parsha is Vayichi, um, Yosef brings his two sons, Menashe and Ephraim, to be blessed by Yaakov. And we have the famous thing that Yaakov switches his hands and puts his right hand on, on Ephraim and the left hand on Menashe, and Yosef tries to switch them around. And that's where Yaakov makes a statement. He says, he says, I know that, if, that Menashe will be great as well, but Ephraim will be even greater. What was Yaakov referring to when he talked about the greatness of Menashe and the greatness of Ephraim? Says Rashi, and again in this week's Parsha, he says Menashe is great because Gidon is going to come from Menashe. 
Shachkodesh Baruch Hu Oisen Nes Al Yodai. So Yaakov Avinu hundreds of years earlier already foretold this great tzaddik that we are going to learn about tonight, which is Gidon, that he is going to come forth from Menashe. And yet Yaakov says, but Ephraim is greater because Yeshua is going to come from him. And Yeshua is the one who's going to be Moshe Rabbeinu's successor, who we learned about in the past. But that's the first time we hear about Gidon in Chumash, Chumash Rashi, when Yaakov Avinu already mentioned that he was going to come from the Shevet Menashe. Um, also, later, in Parshas V'zois HaBracha, at the end of the Chumash, when Moshe Rabbeinu is giving the brachas before he passes away to every Shevet, so when he talks about um, the tribe of Yosef, he says, Vehem Alfei Menashe, that this is the thousands um, that will fall to Menashe, says Rashi, again in Parshas V'zois HaBracha, Ho'alafim Shaharag Gidon B'Midyon. That Moshe Rabbeinu was in his bracha to, to the tribe of Menashe. Again, uh, many, many years earlier, Moshe Rabbeinu was already giving a bracha for Gidon's miraculous um, battles, success in battles that we are going to learn about tonight. And one more reference in the very, very end of Chumash. Mamash, the last few psukim of Chumash, it says that Moshe Rabbeinu was given a virtual tour of Eretz Yisrael. We know, of course, Moshe Rabbeinu wanted to go into the land of Eretz Yisrael, and that was withheld from him. But Hashem says he should go up to a mountain and he can look and see the land. But Rashi says he doesn't just see the land of that day, he sees whatever is going to transpire in the years to come. So there, in the, the very last Pesukim of the Torah, it says that Moshe Rabbeinu saw as Eretz Ephraim Umenasheh, Says Rashi, what was he seeing in the future of Menashe? He saw Gidon, Sheba mi Menashe, Nilcham im Midyon v'im Amalek. Moshe Rabbeinu already got a preview of, of the battles of Midyon, of, I'm sorry, of Gidon with the nations of Midyon and Amalek. So all of this is really previews to this, these couple of chapters in Shaftim that we're looking at this evening that were already mentioned and prophesied earlier in the Torah by Yaakov Avinu and by Moshe Rabbeinu, as Rashi explains in those places that I just mentioned. Okay, so, but how does the story actually play itself out? So, it starts in a very interesting way, and we have this um, young man, Gidon, Gidon, the son of Yoyosh, who is actually in the field, and he's actually threshing the wheat. Um, one of the, uh, I never worked in a field, but uh, I understand that one of the uh, things that have to be done with the, the, the wheat has to be threshed and winnowed and all that different work that's done in the field with the wheat. And Gidon is standing in the fields of his father and he's threshing the wheat. And the Medrash tells us, that it was an act of tremendous kibud av, respect for his father, because really, his father was the one who was working in the fields, but Gidon saw that it was difficult for his father. He says, you go and rest, and I'm going to do this um, for you. And that was the first great zechus. It says that the malach, it said a malach comes from heaven. And it's interesting, the Pasuk says the malach was just, was there, under the tree, and he was watching. And he sees Gidon, and, and the Medrash says, what was he looking for? He was looking for different zechusim. He was looking for special merits to find in Gidon that he should become the one who now is given the job of being the sheifet, the judge, and the one who is going to bring um, bring a sense of peace to Klal Yisrael. So the first thing he saw was that kibbutz of aim that Gidon had for his parents. And then the Malach addresses Gidon, and he says, 
Hashem imcha gibar hachayel. Hashem is with you, or Hashem be with you, you strong man of uh, valor, gibar hachayel. And Pinchas gives him an interesting answer. He says, Vayan Pinchas, Pinchas answer and says, Hashem is with us? Then where is Hashem's wonders? Where is Hashem's protection for Klal Yisro? And Gidon immediately turns to the Malach with a complaint, so to speak. Here you're, you're greeting me with this bracha, Hashem imcha, Hashem is with you, which is, by the way, a greeting that many people use even today. Um, Hashem imachem, Hashem imcha, which is Hashem is with you. And Gidon turns around and says, if Hashem is with us, ayei nifla'esav, we are the wonders of Hashem. And Medrash tells us that that day was actually the first day of Pesach. And Gidon tells the Malach, he says, it was just Pesach, and last night we had the Seder. And I was sitting by my father's Seder, my father was telling us about the Niflois, about the wonders of Hashem, to Klal Yisrael, they left Mitzrayim. So Gidon says, so where are those Niflois today? Why is Klal Yisrael so downtrodden? Why are we so, so oppressed? And Gidon went on and he said, he says, if the nation that Hashem took out of Mitzrayim were tzaddikim, so then why is there schus, why is there merit not helping us for today? If they were Rishayim, if they weren't Sadiqim, then just like Hashem showed kindness to them, even though they weren't Sadiqim, Hashem should show kindness to us, even if we're not Sadiqim, even if we're not worthy. So this is Gidon, and this is really the, the first words uh, that we are introduced in the Navi to Gidon, is this person who's standing up for the covet of Klal Yisrael, talking tough words, so to speak, to Hashem, for the sake of his nation. And the um, and and so the pasuk says, the pasuk says, "Vayifen a love Hashem." Hashem now turns to Gidon, and Rashi says, "Until now, it was only a malach of Hashem talking." Initially, the initial approach was a malach was an angel, but when Gidon stood up like that for Klal Yisrael, and right away started asking, "Why? Where's Hashem? And where's Hashem's kindness? And where's Hashem's chesed? And why isn't he standing up for his children?" At that point, he awakened Hashem himself to come down to the defense of Klal Yisrael. And Hashem turns to Gideon and he says, Go with this Koyach and you are going to be the one that will be Mashiach that will save Klal Yisrael. And the Mepharshim say, Rashi says, the Radak, what does it mean? With this, with this Koyach. Which, which Koyach are we talking about? The Koyach of your Ahavas Yisrael. The Koyach of the fact that you stood up, that you're asking for where is Hashem's protection for Klal Yisrael. And that was the Koyach which um, gave Gideon that, uh, that, uh, the power and the ability that he should be the Mashiach, he should be the one that was going to save Klal Yisrael in this big battle that was going to be ahead of them with the Midyanim. Now, when Hashem tells that to Gideon, Gideon turns to Hashem and he says, he says, um, let me second turn the pages, he says, Bameh Oishia es Yisrael. He says, how can I be the one to save Kal Yisrael? He says, my family belongs to the weakest part of the tribe of Menasheh. And I'm the youngest in my father's home. Notice, we belong, we're not, we don't, we don't belong to a family that's the rulers of the, uh, of the tribe, of the Shevet. It's, uh, we're, we're, our family is connected to a, a very weak part of the Shevet, and I'm the weakest in my father's home. How am I going to have the Koyach to lead Klal Yisrael into battle and to save them from the Midyanim? And Hashem says, Hashem, ki himach, I will be with you. You'll be able to totally wipe out Midyan as if they were only one person. That's what Hashem's response to Gideon is. 
Um, and the, the Mepharshim point out that the this whole interchange with uh, Gidon and the Malach and Hashem is really very reminiscent of Moshe Rabbeinu, right in the beginning. Just like Moshe Rabbeinu, Hashem comes to him in the burning bush. That was the first time that, that they met. Um, so too here we have the Malach coming in the in the you know wheat field, sitting under the tree, um, and meeting with Gidon. And Moshe Rabbeinu right away said, "Who am I to save them?" Gidon says the same thing: "Who am I to save them? How can I do it?" And Hashem answers, "Ki I'm going to be with you, just like Hashem said to Moshe, Hashem said to Gidon. And Gidon had this this um, this this greatness, this holiness as a, as one of the great um, leaders of Klal Yisrael. And in many ways, the beginning of his leadership resembled that of Moshe Rabbeinu. Also. The fact that uh, that Gida stood up for Klal Yisrael and he said, like, where is Hashem and why isn't he helping us and what's going on? And, you know, that takes a certain courage to talk that way, like we find Meshe Rabbeinu did when Meshe Rabbeinu said, Why didn't Hashem take us out of Mitzrayim? He made things more difficult. And Gidon went in the same way and therefore he was chosen to be the this shayfet that was going to redeem Klal Yisrael at this point in time. And then Gidon, yes, Okay, so that's a good question. I don't know that it says specifically that every Shofit is a Navi. Um, definitely some were. I mean, last week we learned about Dvera. She's called Dvera Hanaviyah. Um, Gidon here is having divine encounters. Um, so clearly, at least some of the Shoftim definitely were Naviim. Um, I don't think that it says about all of them that they were. Now, why Pinchas shows up periodically and he's always like showing up there... So I mentioned earlier that Pinchas is a Leoa Navi, and he's that Shefet that just, that Navi, I'm sorry, that's just always there, the Navi Hashem um, that's there, and he's hidden, and he shows up, and he goes out. He's not meant to be an actual Shefet, an actual leader that leads Klal Yisrael into battle and all of that, that he typically is not seen as, but he is a Navi of Hashem that keeps on being sent for different missions. Um, why it had to be, first Pinchas had to come and bring them to some level of Tshuva, and then Gidon could be appointed the Shofet. That's the, you know why you know, Hashem could have used A for B and B for A. That's Hashem's business. But that's how it was. There are the Shoftim, and there is this Pinchas who keeps on coming back and forth, being Ma'irer, awakening people to Tshuva. So, at this point, Gidon does something else similar to um, what, Hash- what Moshe Rabbeinu did, and he asks Hashem for a sign. Um, like, just like Moshe Rabbeinu did. He asks Hashem for a sign, and he tells, he tells, actually at this point, he, to, he tells the Malach. Hashem spoke, but now it's back to the Malach. And he says, um, Gidon says, don't, don't leave. He asks the Malach, don't leave until I want to bring a mincha, I want to bring a carbon to Hashem. And he and the Malach says, okay. And Gidon comes and he brings a, a, a goat and he brings some uh, flour for matzah and he brings some type of a, it says marak, which is like a soup. And the Malach says, okay, put it down on the stone and pour the soup over it. And a fire comes and it consumes everything. And at that point, Gidon got his sign that he was definitely talking to Malach Hashem and that this was the um, the mission that Hashem gave, gives to him. And at that point, Gidon builds there a Mizbeach. Okay, then Hashem gives Gidon his first mission. And here's something very interesting. 
Gidon's father's name was Yoyosh, Gidon ben Yoyosh. Yoyosh himself was idolatrous, as were many or most of the Eden at that time. So Hashem tells Gideon, I want you to do the following. He says, your father has a Mizbeach, an altar for Avodah for idolatry. Near the Mizbeach, there is an Asherah tree. The Asherah tree is mentioned in the Chumash many times. That was the trees that were planted for, for idolatry as well. And he has certain animals, oxen, that are being kept for idolatry, for idolatrous purposes. Says the Malach to Gideon, I want you to take the Asherah tree and cut it down. I want you to take the Mizbeach and, and, uh, and take it apart. And I want you to build a Mizbeach to Hashem on that area. Take those animals that were set aside for Avodah for idolatry, and bring it as a carbon for Hashem. And this was going to be an act of defiance against the idolatrous um, nature of what was going on in the city as a whole. It was called The city was Ofra, a city in Eretz Yisrael. And it says that Gideon did it, and he did it by night. He took ten servants, and they did the whole thing. They chopped down the Asherah tree, and they uh, took down the Mizbeach, which was for the Baal, which was a type of a uh, idol. And they took the animals that were set aside for Avi Zorah, and they brought, they made a big carbon, they brought it as a carbon for Hashem. And in fact, the Gemara says that at that point, a lot of things he was doing that are typically forbidden to do. First of all, uh, you can't use an animal that's for, for idolatry for a carbon. And you, have, you can't use the woods of the Asherah tree. And Gidon wasn't a Kohen. And it was outside of Yerushalayim. And it was by night. Like, all the no-nos were done. But he got he had a special nevuah from Hashem to do it. And therefore, at that time, it was, of course, permissible. So Gidon does this. And in the morning, there's pandemonium in the city. Because the uh, the idol that was there, that was erected, is, 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 is down. And the, uh, the uh, Mizbeach... The altar that was erected for idolatry has been ransacked, and they see that the animals that were taken from Avodah and they make a quick investigation, and in the city they know, they realize that it is Gidon. They find out that it was Gidon who did this act, and they come, they surround the house of Yoyash, Gidon's father, and they say, give us your son. Your son is, uh, he destroyed our idols, and he brought the animals for, uh, for Hashem. So at this point, Yoyash already was convinced by his son of the uh, uselessness and idolatry. And he says, he tells the people, he says, do you people have to go out and fight the fights of our Baal, of our idol? Let the Baal, let the idol itself fight its fights. And at that point, Gidon got a new name. And the new name that Gidon is called many times in Tanakh is Yerubal. Sometimes you'll see Yerubal, Yerubal is Gidon. And that means that 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 the Baal, that he fights the fight, that, that the Baal should fight the fight against him. Because again, the Baal was the name of the idol, and Gideon stands up against this idol and idolatry, and he makes this, uh, uh, this um, how do you say, uh, a, a, a revolution, so to speak, against idolatry in his city. His father takes his side, and that becomes, that was Gideon's first um, mission, in uh, like a mysterious Nefesh mission, that Hashem says that he should start turning the tide against the idolatry that was going on in the city. Okay, and that's when he became known not just as Gideon, as Yerubal. Okay, we're still, by the way, in chapter 6. It's a a lengthy chapter. Then the Pasuk says that the Midianites who were in charge got together with the Amalekites, who are always the enemies of Klal Yisrael, and they gathered in tremendous numbers. We'll see soon, like, like, like many, many, many tens of thousands of soldiers gathered 
to do battle against Klal Yisrael. And Gideon blows the shofar and he calls many people. He calls um, many people from his tribe, which is from Menashe, but also from other tribes that are adjacent to him, um, from Asher and Zvulun and Naphtali. And thousands of Gideon come to the call of Gideon and um, and they're ready to do battle. They, they want they want to follow Gideon into battle against the Midianim and the Amalekim. And Gideon again asks for some interesting signs from Hashem. Um, the Mefarshim say that Gideon did not have a lack of emuna of belief in Hashem, but he wanted to see signs that he and the Jewish people were worthy of Hashem's nisim. Because he knew that the Jewish people were not on a high level at that point, and there was a lot of idolatry, and he he didn't question Hashem's ability; he questioned the questioned the worthiness of Klal Yisrael to be deserving of Hashem's great nisim. And therefore, in this period, he asks for a few more signs from Hashem, interesting signs. Um, he asks Hashem; he says, "I'm going to put down this evening um, a piece of wool in the uh, in the fields, and when I wake up in the morning." that there should be um, dew only on the wool, but all the land around it should be dry. And then I'll know that a nest happened, and that nest will be a symbol that we're deserving of Hashem's nisim. He says, so that's what happened. They woke up the next morning, and he says that that piece of uh, wool was filled with a tremendous amount of tal, a tremendous amount of dew. And then Gideon says to Hashem, but al-yichar apchal, don't be upset with me. One more, one more sign. Tomorrow morning it should be the opposite. That tomorrow morning there should be wool, there should be dew everywhere else on the ground, but not on the wool. And that's what happened. The next morning he had the second uh, sign from Hashem that um, exactly what he asked for. This time the dew was on the ground and not on the wool. And that is the end of chapter 6. So at this point, Gideon has amassed um, a pretty sizable army of Klal Yisrael, and they are ready, they're waiting to hear from Hashem when they should go out to battle against the Midyanim and the Amalekim, who again have gathered with a tremendous force, who have gathered with a tremendous force to battle Klal Yisro. Okay, and now something very, very interesting and unusual happens. Gideon has an, has an army put together of 32,000 32, men who are Gideon's army to go and fight against the Midianim. Hashem comes to Gideon and says the following. He says, you have too many people. There's too many people in your army. Rav ha'om asher itoch. Too many. Why? Because if you have so many people, when they're going to win the battle, what are they going to start thinking? That we won the battle because we're a mighty army. We're thousands of people, 32,000 yidin. So they might, Hashem says, I know my <laughs> I know my people, and I know that if they go to an army and have a tremendous um, group of soldiers, they may believe that ultimately... The victory came to them because of their numbers and because of their might. Therefore, Hashem says, I want you to go to the army and call out to them and say, whoever has any whoever has any fear of battle, go home. We don't, we don't need you. If you have any fear of battle, go home. And that's what he did. So Gideon goes out and he announces that whoever has any fear of battle should go home. Says the Navi, 22,000 soldiers left him. So he started out with 32,000 soldiers that he had amassed from his shevet and others. He lost 22,000 soldiers. Now this is already a question of advanced mathematics. If he started with 32,000 soldiers and 22,000 left him, so that leaves us with 10,000 soldiers. 
So now Gideon is left with 10,000 soldiers and they're facing an army that's more than 10 times their size. And Hashem says to Gideon, it's still too much. You still have too many soldiers. Because Hashem wanted to make sure that this, everyone understands that this war is, mirac- is only going to be miraculously won. It's not going to be won based on power and based on might and based on strategics. It's going to be miraculous. So Hashem says 10,000 soldiers is too much. And then Hashem creates the ultimate and a fascinating test. Uh, to my knowledge, the only time in Tanakh that this test is made. And Hashem says the following. He says, tell all your people, all the 10,000 soldiers that you have gathered, bring them down to the river and tell them to drink. Tell them to take a drink from, of water of the river. And I want you to look and see how they drink. And he says, all of those that get down on their knees and they drink from, from, from the position on their knees, they're out. You don't want them as, as soldiers. Only the ones who sort of like lay, lay down and drink with the, like, like, uh, like, like an animal will drink just with their tongue without getting down on their knees, that's the one, or they scoop it up in their, in their hands, those are the ones that you're going to take as soldiers. And the Mepharshim say, even though the Pasuk doesn't say, what was that all about? The Mepharshim all say, because all those that got down on their knees, that means that they were used to bowing. That means that they were part of the idolatrous um, behaviors of bowing to the very different the different idols that there were. In the Beis HaMikdosh, or in the Mishkan, when they bowed, it was a full prostration on the ground, laying down. But on the knees, that was the way they bowed for Avedizor. So Hashem was telling Gideon that this battle is going to be won only by people who are 100% faithful to Hashem and were always 100% faithful to Hashem. Anyone who bowed to Avedizorah, we don't need in this battle. Even if now they did Shuvah, now they did this, this battle is going to be won by only those who are 100% faithful always. So he started out with 10,000 and he lost 9,700 more soldiers. <laughs> and he was left with 300 soldiers. That's what it boiled down to. So he started out with a he started out with a group of 32,000 soldiers. 22,000 left him the first time around when he said that whoever's afraid should go home. And now Hashem said, that's, that's too much. I need, I need those that don't know how to bow, that don't bow on their knees. And nine, another 9,700 soldiers were sent home. Now Gideon is left with 300 soldiers facing the armies of Midian and Amalek that have, as we'll see, over 100,000 soldiers. And that's what, Gideon, that's what Gideon is left with. Um, the Pasik says, and then the Pasik says, Vayoimer Hashem al Gideon. Hashem says to Gideon, Bishloish Meis Ish. With these 300 people, Oshia Eschem. With these 300 people, I will bring you salvation. Vinasati Es Midion Biyadecha. And I will put, I will give Midion into your hands. You'll be victorious over them. Vichol Ha'om Yelchu Ishlem Kaimai. Let everyone else go back to their homes. They're not needed in this war. And that's what happens. Um, and Gideon then gives, and this is a somewhat famous story of Tanakh, Gideon has the, he, um, he gives the orders to his 300 soldiers. He uh, divides them into three groups. Um, three groups of men. And each one is 100 soldiers, that's all. And he gives each soldier a shoifer on one hand. And each shoifer carried a torch, a lit torch, and a jug, or some type of a jug or a barrel, over the torch. 
And they split up and they go into three groups around this massive camp of Midyanim. And when Gideon gives the sign, they all blow their shafers, 300 shafers loud, they blow the shafer, they break the jugs, they hold up the torches, and they all shout out, um, that we're fighting the battle of Hashem under the under the uh, rulership of Gideon. <clears throat> I'm sorry, you know what? I miss I missed one point. I'm, I'm holding the, I'm holding the Tanakh, but I missed one point. Before they actually went to battle, before they actually went to the battle, Hashem tells uh, Gideon, He says, you know, you're going with 300 soldiers to fight this huge battle over hundreds, you know, a, a group that's more than 100 times more than you. He says, so I want to give you one more simon that you shouldn't be afraid. So he says, go with your with your servant, your uh, whatever it's called, the, your personal servant, and go, you know, in a secretive way, go into the camp, go into the Midianite camp, and just listen, listen to the first message that you hear some of the soldiers talking amongst themselves. And that's what they did. And they snuck into the camp, and they hear one telling his friend, he says, this is two Midianite soldiers, and one says, I just had a dream. He says, and in my dream, there was this uh, bread, a type of a, uh, a barley, a bread made out of barley that was just rolling in through the encampment of Midian and it came to my tent and it knocked over the entire tent. My whole entire tent was knocked over. So his so the, the his friend, the Midianite soldier says, he says, this must be a sign that the sword of Gidon and the Jewish people are going to come and they're going to smite Midian. This is what Gidon is listening to two Midianite soldiers talking to each other, and he had that confidence, Hashem wants him to have the confidence that with 300 soldiers, he's going to be able to overcome this mighty, um, this mighty army. And that's what happens. And that's what, that's what happens. So they, they do, he does that, as I told you before, he splits the army into three heads, three groups of 100 soldiers each, and they go with their shayferis, and they go and they call, they, they, they blast the shayferis, they break the jugs, and they all shout out, Hashem Ulegidon. For Hashem and for Gidon, we're um, we're fighting a war, and when they sh- when they when they, they made this noise with the shayfris and this, Hashem caused a tremendous confusion in the armies of Midian and Amalek, and they started running and they started fighting with each other, they started stabbing each other, and they just they totally the army fell apart, they totally fell apart, and they ran every which way, thousands and thousands were killed, and these three hundred men of Gidon were in hot pursuit. At this point, when the armies of Midian and Amalek are already disbanded and they're running for their lives, now Gideon sends a message to all the other thousands of soldiers who were sent home uh, from Naphtali and from the other the other Shvatim around it. And he says, now is your time to go and cut them off and, and uh, to, to make sure that we are able to um, bring freedom to the entire, all of these areas that they took from us and all the years of Eretz Yisrael to bring, again, freedom to Klal Yisrael. And that's what, so now there's this basically a pursuit of all the Shvat, and now already thousands of Yiddish soldiers are getting involved and running after the enemy who's, who's, in, uh, who's in a state of uh, disarray, in a state of de- retreat altogether. That is the end of chapter 7. That's Perik Zion. So basically, in, in Vav, we learned is the initial um, meeting, so to speak, of Hashem and the Malach with Gidon, and the first uh, tests, uh, the first Moifsim, um, uh, that Hashem shows uh, the first signs that is that Hashem gives Gideon that he's going to be with him miraculously. And here in Perik Zion, we have this miraculous battle 
where Hashem, you know, says that thousands, sends away thousands and thousands of Jewish soldiers, and it's a battle that's won with 300 uh, soldiers against again, well over 100,000 Midianite soldiers um, in this miraculous way, that's Perik Zayin. Perik is really still in the middle, they didn't finish it, because they're now they're chasing the Midianim and they're chasing the Amalekim. So in the beginning of Perik we have an interesting interchange between people from the Shevet of Ephraim. People from Shevet Ephraim hear that Gideon just now miraculously was able to, you know, turn the tide and and, and be victorious in this tremendous um, battle. I'm sorry. You don't see me anymore, correct? Okay, I don't know why that is, but okay, let me just, I don't know how to fix that for right now, so for, for the last few minutes, you just hear me. Okay, I'm, so, I'm, I'm sorry about that. It's connected, so I don't know why it stopped working here. Okay, so um, the people from Ephraim come now to Gidon, and they say, why didn't you call us to battle also? You know, uh, you, you did this great battle, and Hashem showed you these great nisim, these great miracles. Why is it that you didn't call us to join the battle with Klal Yisrael? That's where the people of Ephraim come to Gidon with a tiny, with, an, with a complaint. And here we learn a little bit about Gidon's midos. Instead of saying, like, listen, I did what Hashem told me to do, and this is what it was, Gidon tells them to the contrary. He says, you have the ability to help me finish off the battle. And the end of the battle is, the, is where the ultimate, uh, the ultimate victory lies, not in the beginning. So although you weren't there in the beginning, he says, your part in the battle is much greater than my part of the battle. Because because you have, Hashem gave you the ability to be the ones that should finish it off, and we talk about the concept of uh, that the ultimate um, zechus is when one is able to finish something, to finish it. And he says he was uh, he talks to the Ephraim and he makes them happy, and he says you can be involved in the end of the battle. So that was and Ephraim was able was, was appeased, and they were happy with that. Now Gideon is still with his three hundred men, and they're chasing because they're chasing. They want to. They want to be totally victorious, like Hashem said, to uproot this enemy from amongst Klal Yisrael. And they pass by some cities of Klal of Yidden, and the city of Sukkot, and the city of Penuel. And Gideon asks for help. He says his soldiers need uh, need bread, need food, need water. But for reasons that are not explained, it says that the, the Yidden in these cities did not help Gideon. They said, what? Uh, we don't know if you're going to be victorious. You started the victory. Who says? We don't want to start up with the Midianim. And Gideon says, he promises that we will be victorious. And all those who didn't come to help him and Klal Yisrael in this Mulchama, he says, on the way back, they will be punished. And that did happen later in the story as well. Um, ultimately, <clears throat> ultimately, Gideon is totally successful and he totally uproots the enemy. The Pasuk says that initially, the Lord says there's 135,000 soldiers between the Midianim and Amalekim, and 120,000 were killed, and 15,000 were chased out of Eretz Yisrael. So we're talking about a, a huge and a mighty army that miraculously Gideon was able to totally uproot, of course, with Hashem's Nisim, and was able to free Klal Yisrael from their oppression totally. It's at this point that the Jewish people come to Gideon and say, you should be the Moshel, you should be the king over us. He says, you, you're, you are the vehicle of Hashem to be able to win this Malchama, so we want you to be the Moshel, we want you to be the new ruler of Klal Yisrael. And Gideon says no. 
Gideon, in his humility, says, I don't, you don't need me as a Moshel. Hashem will be our Moshel. Hashem will be our ruler. Hashem will be our king. I don't have to accept. I did my job. I was here only to win the battles, which I did. And now let us return to serving Hashem. Um, and he did not accept upon himself royalty, which in the Mepharshim, some see that, I mean, everyone sees that as the, the humility of Gidon, and yet some see it as a fault of his that he didn't stay to be in control and make sure that things continue in a proper way. Because as we'll see, the next step after Gidon passes away, again, um, reverts to a very difficult time for Klal Yisrael. Um, but one thing he does ask, he says, I want to make, yes? Question. Sure. Sorry. Okay, so that's a that's a good question. That's a good question, and that possibly is why another reason why he didn't want to accept it. Um, but the answer is, Yehuda was chosen that his tribe would be the ultimate kings of Klal Yisrael in a lasting way for all generations. But there were good and holy, righteous people who, in a time of necessity, stood up and took the leadership position and kept it until the time will come that Yehuda will take it again. I mean, even Shaul HaMelech, which we'll talk about later, was appointed by a Navi and he wasn't from the tribe of Yehuda. Or the Chashmanoim, after the Hanukkah story, they were Levim and Kohanim. Nevertheless, they took the leadership because someone had to take it at that time. Um, although others critiqued them for it. So it's, it's an open question. But Vidar um, may Gidon says, Hashem will be our Moshe. I don't want to be the Moshe. He won't. And he didn't, he didn't take Moshe. In fact, he went back to his hometown and that's where he lived and that's where he ultimately passed away. Um, but one thing he does request, and he says, is I want to make a, uh, I want to make a sign or a symbol for that we should always remember the great nace, the great nace of Gidon, which, as I mentioned at the beginning of this year tonight, was already foretold in uh, by Yaakov Avinu and by Moshe Rabbeinu. And he says, I want everyone to contribute. I want everyone to contribute um, monies. Oh, I'm sorry. I think I'm here again. Okay, so he says, I want everyone to contribute from the gold and the silver ornaments and the jewelry that they were able to um, take from the wars with the Midianites. And it's interesting, the Pasuk says that the Midianites, they dressed in a certain way, they all had nose rings. It seems the men also, that's what it seems. And and, uh, Gideon says, I want everyone to give me gold, gold and silver. And he created this huge statue of a ephod. An ephod is like an apron, which was worn by the Kohen Gadol in the Beis Hamikdash, And he created this huge ephod made out of gold, and he put it up as a monument where he lived in the city of Ophrah to be as a monument to remember the nace of Hashem in giving the Midyanim and the Amalekim over into the hands of Klal Yisrael. And although Gidon's intention was a holy one, to create a monument um, to praise Hashem and remember the great nace of that time. Ultimately, the Pasuk says, after he passed away, that monument became, like so many other monuments, idolatrous. And it was used for idolatry. And being that it was somehow expected that Gidon should understand that, that this, although he's thinking it in a positive way, creating such a type of a monument in that time and in that era and in that uh, with that surrounding could be used negative. And again, according to some of Farsham, that was also a critique against Gidon um, at the end, towards the end of his life. Um, and the Pasuk finishes and says, 
that Gidon or Yerubal goes back to his home. Um, it says actually he had many sons, he had 70 sons, and we'll learn about that in the next parak, next chapter, which we'll do next week, Emir Hashem. It finishes that Vayamas Gidon ben Yoash Beseva Tova, that he passed away in a, in a, at a ripe old age, in a time of peace of Klal Yisrael, and there was peace during his lifetime after these battles for 40 years, 40 years of peace, um, where Klal Yisrael was, it seems, basically on a good path until the passing of Gidon in the end of Perik Ches. So uh, what we did tonight is Vav, Zayin, and Ches, which is really the story of Gidon, the sixth of the Shoftim of Klal Yisrael, and a tremendous Sadik, and many miracles happened in his time, as we saw tonight, and we will continue with that in Mirza Hashem next week. Yes. Rabbi Silverberg, did you say he had 77 euros?